First Kings chapter three, um, four through nine, and uh, here's what uh, uh, First Kings three four through nine. You can follow along on the screen. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and said, "Ask for whatever you want me to give you." So Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. Let's let's pray together, shall we, this morning? Lord, we're grateful for the beautiful day that you've given us, for the sunshine, uh, for the warm weather, uh, for the gift of life. Uh, Most of all, we're grateful for the gift of eternal life. Uh, The fact that uh, we can know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what's beyond the grave. Lord, uh, for the truth of of Jesus and uh, the incarnation and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. We don't have to work and earn for our salvation, but it's a gift of you. Uh, A gift that is the gift, uh, the greatest gift of all. Uh, the gift of eternal life as we put our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior. So we thank you for that this morning. And Lord, we just pray your uh, blessing upon the uh, the rest of this morning. Lord, open up our hearts to uh, what you would have for us today as we um, look at the life of King Solomon. Uh, Lord, may we be able to learn some things that will help us and encourage us on our life's journey. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in the book of First Kings, and uh, we're studying the life of Solomon. And uh, one title to this series could be The Wise King Who Became Foolish. So as we think of King Solomon, we think of wisdom, but we understand that uh, somehow King Solomon got sidetracked uh, throughout his uh, life and ministry, and uh, he, didn't, he started well, but he did not finish well. And so last week we looked at First uh, Kings chapter 2, and we saw that uh, Solomon's father, David, is, is, is passing the baton onto his son to reign over Israel. You remember the history of Israel. They, uh, God wanted to be their king. Uh, God, it, God wanted it to be a theocracy, and the, the nation of Israel got restless, and they looked around at all the other nations around them, and they said, we want a king just like all those other nations. And so God, uh, God gave them a king. And there's an interesting verse in the scripture that said, uh, God gave them their desires of their heart, but sent leanness to their soul. Sometimes God allows that as we, in, in, in our hearts and lives. And, and, uh, he, he says, okay, this is what you want. You can have it, but it's going to bring leanness to your soul. And so King Saul was the first king and King Saul reigned and, and then he kind of went off the rails, and then, and then David was anointed king, and King David reigned for 40 years. 
King David wanted to build a temple. That God had put that in his heart, and God said to him, no, you're not going to get to build that temple, but your son is. And so David reigns, and now he passes the baton to King Solomon, and Solomon reigns for 40 years. And last week we looked at the, the, the charge that David gave to Solomon. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, the first few verses, uh, David says to King Solomon in, uh, in his charge to, to uh, King Solomon, he gives him three charges. First of all, he says, I want you to be strong. And we looked at all those verses in the, in the scripture that tell us to be strong and courageous. And the book of Ephesians, uh, hey, we're in a spiritual battle, so we need to, what, stand strong, and we need to put on, what, the armor of God, and the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, we need to, to have the belt of truth around us, our feet uh, shod with the preparation of the gospel, and we need to be praying at all times. We need to be strong. And then David told Solomon, you need to act like a man. And we talked about the fact that in our culture today, uh, we don't even know what manhood looks like. <clears throat> so he gave four characteristics <clears throat> of, of biblical manhood. Biblical manhood rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, takes initiative. Biblical manhood lives for God's purposes and lives for the eternal. And then lastly, David told Solomon, I want you to walk in obedience to God. Well, that brings us to 1 Kings chapter 3, and uh, just simply entitled Solomon's Request. And uh, perhaps this is a very familiar story to, to many of us this morning, but uh, uh, we're going to look at uh, Solomon's request from 1 Kings chapter 3. Now, I'm going to date myself this, this morning because uh, some of you may remember a television show back in uh, the mid-60s. It was a sitcom, and it was entitled, I Dream of Jeannie. And it was kind of a weird little storyline, but uh, Jeannie, who was Barbara Eden, was this uh, genie that uh, popped out of the, the genie bottle, and there were, an astronaut found a, this bottle on a deserted island, and, and the whole show is, is based on this uh, genie's relationship with this, uh, this astronaut. And, uh, and so... Um, some of us, perhaps, at one point in time in our life, have always kind of thought about what would we ask for if somebody came to us and said, ask for whatever you want. Ask ask for three wishes and I will grant them. And uh, maybe you've spent some time thinking about what, what, would I, what would I ask for? The story is told of a couple that uh, they were 60 years old and they were celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. And so they were kind of thinking about what to do to celebrate for their 40th wedding anniversary. <clears throat> and as they were thinking about that, a, a genie did appear to them and uh, said, hey, I'll grant you one wish, whatever wish you would like. And so first she asked the, asked the wife, um, what would you like for your, your 40th anniversary? And the wife thought about it for a little bit and she thought, well, you know, I've been busy with work and busy raising a family. We've never been able to travel very much. And so what I would really like is I would really like to, to travel uh, around the world. And instantly when she said that, in her hand were two uh, tickets to uh, Europe along with two rail passes to travel throughout Europe and go wherever she wanted. And she said, oh, thank you so much. 
the genie turned to uh, a husband and said, well, what would you like for the 40th anniversary? And he kind of thought about it and kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit, and he was a little embarrassed perhaps, and he said, well, what I'd really like is a wife that is 30 years younger than me. And instantly, the genie granted the request, and he was 90 years old. Well, you have to be very specific um, about what you ask for. And here we're going to find out that Solomon was very specific about what uh, what he asked for when God came to him and, and asked him, ask for whatever you want. So let's let's jump into this this morning and to think about the request, to think about the request that Solomon made. And uh, we'll pick it up in the uh, first verse of, of 1 Kings chapter 3. It says, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. That was something that was very common in the, in the uh, first, uh, in these, these days. Uh, to make an alliance through marriage with, uh, with an, someone from another country. And so, uh, Solomon marries the, the daughter of Pharaoh. Um, this was for military purposes and trade, trade purposes. <clears throat> But it's not what God wanted. There were some very specific instructions in Deuteronomy 17. And this is the first little maybe crack in in Solomon beginning to go down the the wrong pathway. So he he marries the the king of Egypt's daughter. He says he brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace. That took 14 years. And the temple of the Lord, that took seven years. And the wall around Jerusalem. Uh, Let me... me, um, Read verses 2 and 3 then, that people, however, were still sacrificing at high places because a temple had not been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. So here, here these high places were altars to other gods. And God wanted Solomon and God's people to offer a sacrifice, not at those places, but at the tabernacle. And so it says, here's Solomon, and he's, he's trying to worship the true God, but he's doing it in the wrong way. And he's offering sacrifices on these other altars that were not what God had intended them to be um, used for. Well, then we come to verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now, sometimes we read scripture, we just kind of zoom through. Think about that. One thousand sacrifices on that altar. He had to have some help, right? I mean, that's he had to have some, some helpers that were offering those sacrifices. A thousand sacrifices there at Gibeon. And uh, that is where then, um, the verses we just read, then it says that Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Wow. So there's, Gib- there's Solomon at Gibeon. He's just offered a thousand burnt offerings. And now at that night, God appears to him in a, in a dream. He says to Solomon, ask for whatever you want. You know, Solomon's going to ask for something here, and we're going to look at this really a prayer in, in, just, in just a little bit. But I was thinking about how in one sense God's asked us to do that as well. 
You know, when you think about Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and Jesus is talking, and he's talking about prayer, and what does he tell us to do? He says, I want you to keep on asking. I want you to keep on seeking. I want you to keep on knocking. God wants to know what's on our heart. God wants to hear from us, and he wants to hear our prayer requests. And so Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And so here Solomon's been uh, in the dream, and God says, ask for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Now Solomon starts out with, with uh, gratitude here in verse 6. You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David. Because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart, you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. So the word kindness is the word hesed. It's all through the Old Testament. It's translated with different words, mercy, loving kindness. Solomon's saying, I want to thank you, God. You've been merciful to my father. You, you, you blessed my father and, and allowed him to sit on the throne. And so he starts with, with thankfulness, but he also expresses humility in this prayer. Notice that three times in verses one each in 7, 8, and 9, Solomon refers to himself as your servant. Now, Lord my God, you know you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Uh, verse 8, your servant is here among the people you have chosen. Verse 9, so give your servant. There's the humility of Solomon. He says, I, I'm your servant. And you read through the New Testament and Paul addresses his letters to, to sometimes the individuals and sometimes the churches. But what does Paul, how does Paul refer to himself? He says, I'm a bond slave. I'm a, a doulos. I'm a servant of God. And so we see um, humility here in, in Solomon's, uh, Solomon's prayer. I know how important humility is uh, when, when we pray. Uh, not, to, not to pray and come into our, our prayer life demanding God of something, but to recognize who He is and who we are. Remember the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 um, and let me, just, let me just read it. It's a great story. To some who were confident of their own righteousness. That was the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They were, they were proud. And they looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. So he's talking to the religious leaders who had a problem with pride. He says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, the low level of the cultures, uh, the society of that day. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers or evildoers or adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. I, I keep the law. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, as I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so we see the importance of, 
of humility and Solomon uh, to, to responding to God in his dreams says, I, I'm just your servant. And so he, he's, he acknowledges that, that he is um, the servant of the Most High God. But then we come to his request. As, so your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And so here, what does Solomon ask for? He asks for wisdom. (laughs) He's about to be installed as the, the king of the nation of Israel. And Solomon is probably about 25, 30 years old. And he says, hey, this, this is beyond me. And, and I need your help, God, and I need your wisdom, so would you give me a discerning heart, a wise heart? Well, we'll look at the response, and um, the response is amazing because uh, God uh, granted him his, his request and gave him even more. It says in verse 10 that the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there be ever be. Solomon, I'm going to grant you that request for wisdom and you're going to be the, the wisest person. And no one, no one that will come after you will be as wise as the wisdom of Solomon. And so God says, I'm going to give you wisdom. Later on in, in chapter 4, we, we get a little uh, insight into what this wisdom looked like that, that Solomon had. First uh, Kings 4.29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of Egypt, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. His fame, the end of verse 31, spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life. From the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls, he spoke about animals, birds, reptiles, fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. People came from all over the known world to to learn from the wisdom of Solomon. He was like a Renaissance man. He had a wealth of knowledge. God granted him knowledge about um, anthropology and about plant life, and, and all a wide breadth of knowledge, so much so that people came from all over the world to learn about the Solomon of wisdom, uh, the, was Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon. Not only did, uh, did God grant him a wise and discerning heart, but God gave him great wealth as well. Uh, that's in verse 13 from uh, 1 Kings Uh, chapter 3. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. So I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. You could have asked for money, 
but you didn't. And because you didn't, I'm going to not only grant you wisdom, but I'm going to grant you wealth. And so we learn about the wealth of Solomon. Later on in chapter 4, 1 Kings 4, verse 22, Solomon's daily provisions. This is, this is every day. This is, this is what came across Solomon's table every day were 30 cores of the finest flour. Now, the footnote in my NIV Bible says that uh, that is approximately five and a half tons of flour, 60 cores, about 11 tons of meal. This is every day. 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fred cattle and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebucks, and choice fowl. That was, that was just, uh, that was the, the daily food supply for Solomon. Goes on to say that he, he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates, and Solomon's fame and wealth and, and um, reputation spread throughout the whole world. And God blessed Solomon not only with wisdom, but with wealth and with honor, and then thirdly, with with long life. Although, notice this is conditional. He says, and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. So what did God give Solomon? Gave him wisdom. He gave him vast amount of riches and wealth and honor, and he said, if you follow me, I'll give you long life. And by the way, in Ephesians 6, 1, there's an interesting promise that the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Why, why should we honor our parents so that it may go well with you? And that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And so uh, there's this connection in Scripture, oftentimes, between doing what God has told us to do and, and, and obeying parents and, and honoring our parents. And when you do that, one of God's gifts is, is long life. Uh, and so that was a conditional one. You follow me, you follow my commands, and I will give you long life. Now, we're going to jump into the rest of the chapter here because um, we're going to look at the ruling because Solomon's wisdom is immediately tested. And there's a story that's uh, buried in chapter 3 here, and maybe you've read it before and maybe you, you haven't, but it's a fascinating story. And uh, let's look at an example of Solomon's wisdom, and then we'll uh, look at some application truths um, to, to wrap this up. So here's, here's uh, the story. It says, Now two prostitutes came to the king, Solomon, and stood before him. And so the job description of a king, uh, three A's. They were, they were the military leader, so they were in charge of the army. Uh, secondly, uh, they were to administer the government, so they had to oversee the government. But the, the third job of the king was appeals. In other words, they were like the, the Supreme Court. And so when there was disagreement, um, they, would, they would go to the king and have the king make a ruling. 
make a final decision. And if you remember in, earlier in uh, the Old Testament when uh, David's son Absalom tried to overthrow, overthrow um, his own father, he was standing by the city gates and when people would come with problems, he would say, oh, there's nobody here from the king's office to, uh, to hear your, your complaint, but I'm here. And, and he began to undermine David's authority in that way. Well, here's a story where the king has to make a, a ruling. Um, I, I, I'm amazed today how many, um, how many judge shows there are on TV. And I, I mean, I've watched a, a few of these and, and I, I can't even count. You know, there's Judge Judy and there's Judge this person. There, there's eight or ten. And, and, you know, it's like we don't have enough problems of our own. We've got to look at other people's problems on television. Uh, very popular shows. Well, here's King Solomon, and um, he's trying to figure out a very sticky situation. And um, here's, uh, here's the uh, first story. It says, one of them said, pardon me, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I had a baby while she was there with me. So there's two prostitutes they're roommates. One has a baby. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. Three days later, we were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your servant was sleeping. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning I got up to nurse my son and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. The other woman said, no, the living one is my son, the dead one is yours. So here's these two ladies and they've got this horrible situation and one of the babies died and they're each saying that the, the baby that's alive is theirs. There's apparently no witnesses. It's simply a matter of he said, she said. There's no, there's no um, evidence like we would have today, like there's no DNA tests or anything like that. And so Solomon's got to decide, who does this baby belong to? It says they argued before the king. Now the king said, verse 23, King Solomon, this one says, my son is alive, your son is dead. The other one says, no, my son is dead, or your son is dead and mine is alive. Here's the wisdom of Solomon. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword to the king. He then gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved. It literally means it literally means stirred in the womb. The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved, stirred in the womb out of love for her son and said to the king, "Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him." But the other said, "Neither I nor you shall have him cut him into." Well, Solomon's trying to create this emotional spark to, to recognize who's the true mother. And he realized that no mother would want to see their child killed. And, and when he realized that the one said, no, don't kill him, he, he knew she was the true mother. And, and so that's, 
That was his, his ruling. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. Now look at the result of this. Verse 28 says, When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that Solomon had wisdom from God to administer justice. And Solomon made this ruling, and they knew the wisdom of that ruling. The whole nation of Israel, as word of that spread, knew that, that Solomon had wisdom from God, that, that he knew how to lead. They had, they had confidence in their king. Why? Because their king, their leader, was getting what? Wisdom from God. And that's the key to uh, confidence in leadership today. Whether it's in the marketplace or whether it's in ministry or whether it's in the government, we want leaders who what? Who know God and listen to God and get wisdom, not worldly wisdom, but wisdom from God. If you read through the history of the United States of America, many of our early presidents... Um, would say that prayer prayer was key. You know, they 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 felt the weight of of leading a nation. And you study the life of someone like Abraham Lincoln and and being the president during that horrific time of the Civil War and and, and Lincoln would, would go to God regularly for wisdom and prayer and seeking God's direction. I'm so thankful that for many years the late Billy Graham was a spiritual advisor to the President of the United States. And I don't know how many presidents he advised, but uh, uh, I would guess at least uh, in his long life of 99 years, uh, six or seven of them. And then Franklin Graham, his, his son, kind of took that uh, role. And uh, Franklin Graham w was on President Trump's spiritual leadership team and advisor. Uh, this, is, this is what we need in our, in our uh, leaders. And so all of Israel knew that Solomon had wisdom from God and it gave them great, great confidence. Well, this morning, as we think about Solomon's request, we want to think about applying that to our lives. And so let's look at um, some life lessons from 1 Kings uh, chapter 3 as we apply this to our lives. And uh, here is, uh, here is uh, the first of three. Uh, lesson number one, we must seek God's wisdom daily in our lives. We must seek God's wisdom daily in our lives. Now, the Bible speaks about two kinds of wisdom. It's found in, in James chapter 3. Uh, there's God's wisdom and there's worldly wisdom. James 3.13, who is wise and understanding among you? Who has wisdom? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So there's a certain kind of worldly wisdom. But then there's God's wisdom. Verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, 
It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And so the first thought here is that we need God's wisdom in our life every day. We need God's wisdom. And isn't it interesting that uh, there's a whole section of Scripture that's called wisdom literature. What are some areas in our life where we need wisdom? And I'm just going to go through these very, very quickly. Uh, boy, we need wisdom in, in our marriages and we need wisdom in parenting, don't we? If there's anything that will um, begin to hone in and focus our prayer life, it's um, having children. <laughs> and uh, we've raised three boys and I remember our, our journey in parenting and we were rather... Uh, we were 25, I think, when our first son was born, and we were kind of like Solomon, like, uh, we, we really don't know what to do here. God, uh, you, will you help us and give us wisdom? And you begin to feel the weight and the incredible responsibility of raising children. Oh, God, we need your wisdom. We need wisdom in the marketplace, don't we? And employer-employee relationship, and there's a lot in Scripture about that as well. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the, the church at Colossae and, and gives them some uh, good advice about uh, wisdom for the, for the workplace. Um, for Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. <laughs> Don't be a slacker. Uh, don't don't work only when the boss is look is is there. You, know, you need to have a good work ethic. He says, as working for the Lord, not for your human masters. And so realize that the, the marketplace that ultimately you're, you're working for God. And I remember ten fifteen years ago when our oldest son was in a very very difficult work situation and. He, he, every day he would say, I'm not working for, and he put the boss's name, but I'm working for Christ. <laughs> and, and that mindset was the only way that got him through a, a very, very difficult work situation. There's wisdom. We need wisdom in the marketplace. We need wisdom with money. It's amazing that the Bible says more about, Jesus says more about money than heaven and hell combined in the New Testament. He says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. you got to choose. And so um, God knew and Jesus knew the potential that money has to have in our heart and on our life. Um, areas where we need wisdom, marriage, the marketplace, money, certainly ministry. Um, there's a whole s- section in the New Testament called the Pastoral Epistles, where Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, this is how a church should function, and these are the, the offices in the church, and the, the, this, is, this is how it is to work. And so, oh, we need wisdom every, every day. Uh, secondly, we need to recognize the resources for wisdom. So where does this wisdom come from? <laughs> Well, James says that it's, it's heavenly wisdom, but let's think about three resources of wisdom. First of all, God himself. He's referred to in 1 Timothy as the only wise God. And when Paul writes to the uh, church at Colossae, he writes about, about Jesus and he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So God is omniscient. God has, has wisdom. And James tells us we need to what? 
ask God for wisdom. And so uh, God is the source of wisdom. And James says when we ask God for wisdom, he will give us wisdom generously, liberally. So we need to ask God for wisdom. God himself is, is wisdom. Secondly, God's word is wisdom. There's great wisdom. As I mentioned, there's, there's a whole section of Scripture that's called wisdom literature. It's Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And that whole section in our, in our um, Old Testament is called wisdom literature. The first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs says, Get wisdom, though it costs all you have. Get wisdom. And so God's Word is filled with, with wisdom. And Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, And how from infancy, from a baby, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So what's the first step of wisdom that the Scriptures give us? It's, it's the wisdom of salvation. And we read through the book of Romans and we discover that as Paul lays it out, the whole world is guilty before God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That all of our efforts and, and to, to appease God are like filthy rags. We all need a Savior for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the wisdom of God's scriptures is that Jesus came to be our what? Our Savior and our sin bearer. And once we recognize our need, and as Andy Stanley wrote the book, How Good Do You Have to Be to Get to Heaven? The answer is perfect because God is holy. Therefore, we got a problem <laughs> because none of us are perfect, but Jesus is. And when Jesus came and, and, and shed his blood on the cross, the Bible says the, the righteousness of Christ, when we accept him, his perfection gets credited to our account. And, he, and God sees us as clothed in his righteousness, as our standing before God is perfection because our sins have been forgiven and so the wisdom of God's word is the, the need for salvation. And, and uh, Jesus, uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, told the, told the story of the, the wise man and the foolish man. And, and what's the difference there? The wise person not only hears God's word, but they put it into practice. And the person that does that, when the storms of life come, guess what? Your life will be standing. And the foolish man that to build his life on, uh, on simply the sand, and that's anything other than Christ. When the storms come, they're going to fall, and his life is going to fall. Well, thirdly, a uh, source of wisdom, it's God, it's God's word, and it's, it's God's people. It's God's people. That, that God has, uh, has granted us uh, wisdom through uh, godly people. Uh, for young people growing up, it's... it's, it's should be mom and dad. And uh, uh, part of the role of mom and dad is to, to give your, your, your kids wisdom because you've experienced some of this. And wise is the son or daughter that listens to mom or dad. Your parents are a gift of God for wisdom. But then there's pastors and there's mentors and there's teachers. And um, I love what the book of Proverbs says. There is safety in a multitude of counselors. And so when you have a, a decision to make and you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do, seek out a couple of wise people 
that you know and respect and that you know are grounded in God's Word and, 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 and get some good and wise advice because there's, there's safety in that multitude of counselors and that's part of what the, the church is here for, to, to help each other and encourage each other in making wise choices. Thirdly and lastly, and then we're done, is this. The church needs men and women full of godly wisdom. And not only do we, do we need to ask, uh, ask God for wisdom every day, um, and not only do we need to recognize the resources of wisdom, but the church of Jesus Christ needs men and women full of wisdom. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, um, the example is in 1 Chronicles 12.32, the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar, it said in 1 Chronicles 12.32, they understood the times in which they lived and they knew what to do. Here's the sons of Issachar, and they understood the culture, and they understood the times in which they lived, but they also knew what to do. They were wise men. When we get to the New Testament, and the early church is, is growing uh, rapidly, and the church has a food ministry, and, and now they're, they're overwhelmed with all of this, and, and so uh, they come up with a solution. Hey, the disciples say, we need, we need some help. We're having a hard time, you know, doing all that God's called us to do and, and, and doing the meals on wheels and, and, and preaching and teaching in God's word. So what was the solution? Brothers and sisters, the disciples said, choose seven men from among you who are known to be what? Full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And we need some help. And we, we need we need seven men, and what's, there's two qualifications, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And so they chose seven men, and these seven men came along, uh, the disciples, and kind of took over that Meals on Wheels ministry, and the disciples, uh, apostles said, uh, we can now focus and devote ourselves to what the ministry of the Word and prayer. And so what, uh, what we need today and what the church needs today is men and women who are full of the Spirit and full of God's wisdom. I have a rock, small rock on my, on my desk. And it was given to me, I don't know, sometime in the last year. Um, it was on my dad's desk. He'd gone to a seminar, and I think it was at, at Maranatha, and he was involved in a, in a ministry of uh, giving hope and healing to those that are abused in our culture. And one of the exercises they did is they gave a rock to everybody, and they just, um, I guess, have them uh, either describe themselves or attributes that they would like to have as a part of their life. And uh, so I keep this on my desk, and uh, on, on this side of the rock, in the middle of my dad's name was Roy, and uh, he has uh, several words on here, compassionate, and then uh, loyal. He writes, I'm not done yet. He was probably in his mid-80s when he wrote this. 
This is interesting. He writes, go for the dance. My dad grew up in a very um, rule-oriented church. And uh, lots of rules, lots of legalism. And I remember him saying that he had never danced in his life until he went to the Open Hearts Ministry Seminar. And one of the things they had him do is just do a slow, slow dance. And probably in his 70s or 80s, he says, I danced for the very first time in my life. He writes about it and says, I felt the shackles of legalism you know, falling off my legs and my arms. But what I really like about the words on this, this side is he writes the word wisdom and then he writes wisdom seeker. <laughs> there he is in his 80s and he's like, I'm still seeking God's wisdom. And uh, boy, as we get um, older, we never outgrow the need for wisdom, do we? In fact, uh, the challenges get bigger, the consequences get bigger, and we need God's wisdom. And it's available in this personal relationship with God who will give us wisdom when we ask. In, 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 in friends and godly friends in the church and pastors and leaders who we can go to for counsel Wisdom is there, and it's found in God's Word. And I pray that you too would every day pray for God's wisdom and that you would be a wisdom seeker, and God will grant it to you. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for um, the gift of wisdom that you've given us. And thank you for the uh, this story about Solomon, who could have asked for anything that he wanted and he chose to ask for wisdom, and you granted him that request. And Lord, I pray that each one of us here this morning would um, make it a regular practice to, to seek your wisdom on a daily basis. Lord, may we, may we seek that um, relationship with you, that quiet time with you. May we make God's word a regular part of our life. And Lord, would you give us the humility in this um, American culture in which we live in, when we think we don't need any help and we can do everything ourselves, would you give us the humility to sometimes go to others and that we respect and ask them for counsel and wisdom? And then, Lord, we pray that as, as we grow in our Christian life, that we would um, grow to be a person that is full of your spirit and that we would grow in wisdom, and that that would demonstrate itself by the way that we live our lives for you. And so grant us wisdom today. Lord, I pray especially for some here that are, that are facing some, some difficult issues and they don't know what to do, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in, in money or whether it's in the marketplace or whether it's in ministry, whether it's, it's in parenting, Lord, uh, grant us your wisdom because the stakes are high. And uh, we'll thank you for that wisdom.